to the Clemson Podcast. I'm your host, Nick, joined today by Cody, and we are pleased to welcome our guest, um, perennial visitor on the podcast. We have Quacking Tiger. QT, how you doing? Doing great. I don't know why you guys, you know, gluttons for punishment keep asking me back here. You got to give the people what they want, QT. <laughs> and they want the in-depth no, analysis. <laughs> yeah, Cody, great to have you along too. I feel like it's been a while since we've both been on the air together, so uh, that is good to be back in the fold um ben and sam we'll hear from them soon likely in a cotton bowl recap form but um definitely keen to, to have qt on and talk with you guys both about early signing day it happened about a week ago it feels like 100 years ago though it's also the cotton bowl matchup coming up so um maybe we can before we get into either of those championships in a row um how's this one feel guys i mean relative to the last three just you know leading into the playoff obviously going to be different than the first year we were here but where are you guys just from a, a feeling and a sentiment as fans of this Clemson team maybe I'll start with you QT well I mean this is the the Trevor Lawrence show right now and uh, I mean it was a bit of a roller coaster there at the beginning of the season trying to figure out how good Trevor Lawrence really was going to be I mean I had said that he was going to win the Heisman so you know uh, when he was back in high school. So I was, you know, really hoping that he would win the starting job sooner rather than later. And I think that, you know, all, all things considered, this team uh, offensively has been able to reshape itself, become extremely explosive, uh, develop a running game, uh, use their skill weapons uh, effectively, but there's still, you know, a bit of a question mark. Well, will will everything click in, you know, in time? Will they be able to, when they're facing a really, you know, solid defensive team? Will Trevor Lawrence rise to the occasion? So that's still there for me. But it's been really, uh, I think, awesome to watch his progression and to think about where he will be next year and the year after that. And then on defense, we have, you know, everybody coming back. Uh, we have this amazing defensive line. We think that we have a you know really great linebackers and really great secondary, and for pretty much the whole season we shut everybody down except for you know little hiccups here and there with uh, with South Carolina. So heading into the playoff, it's this question of how dominant will the the defense be able to be? Is is the secondary you know was that just a little blip or is that something that could be exposed by by later teams? But this has been a really fun team to watch and follow, and it's kind of sad that uh, you know the, one of the best defensive lines. Uh, in school history is going to exit and 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 uh, one of the best teams overall hopefully uh, we'll see just where they rank after Notre Dame and after potentially Alabama to add to that I would say that the this team it, it's been I think due to our schedule and due to uh, just how good they've been it's been hard to, to differentiate between is it the, the the bad schedule or is this a really great team and 
Yeah, what I'd like to think is, regardless of how we do against Notre Dame, if we win or lose, we, do, we don't take any revisionist history into this, how good this team really has been statistically on paper and through the eye test. I think we might not have the same high gear as with Deshaun Watson, but when I look back at this team, I have to think this has been so far the most complete team of the Dabo Sweeney era. I definitely agree with both you guys. I feel like, too, for me, um, I, I tend to gravitate a bit more, you know, if we look back from a, how does this, how does this feel coming into this playoff? Um, it goes back to expectation. I think as we looked at this year, QTU touched on the defense coming back. Um, we did have high hopes, or we sort of thought that this team would go as far as the offense could go. And a lot of that had to do with the, the quarterback position. Um, so I think our expectations when we saw that Trevor Lawrence was for real were very high. We, we definitely thought all along the schedule set up where we could be back here. I think there's certainly less urgency to win a championship right now, knowing that TL's coming back. Um, the, the cupboards are getting restocked, which we'll touch on here um, in the recruiting segment. Um, less urgency, obviously, than 2016, when uh, we really needed, you know, this was Deshaun's last ride, um, failed the year prior, et cetera. I think last year we were just hap- not just happy to be in the playoff, but it was definitely playing with house money a bit. Um, with the Kelly Bryant team, Kelly Bryant-led team coming back. So I think maybe both of you kind of inferred that we really haven't seen likely the best football that this team can play. We may see that this Saturday. We may see that January 7th in Santa Clara. I hope we do. hope we can see where the gear is. I think what's interesting, too, is you you can't kind of gauge or judge this Clemson team this year without thinking about, you know, look across look, look across the country or across the nation at what does the competition look like? And... All year, I mean, we, we sort of realized or knew even coming into the year in the preseason, Alabama would be a force. Now with two of their, with the high-powered offense that they have, they're pretty balanced too. Um, you know, it's it, maybe, Cody, to your last point about not taking revisionist history, it's like we can still be proud and happy about this Clemson team, even if, you know, a juggernaut team from Alabama goes on to beat us and, and win the title. So either way, I'm trying to kind of respect and appreciate the 2018 Clemson Tigers for what they are and for what they've done and hopefully what they accomplish here the next two weeks, next two games. Uh, but it's definitely been one of the most fun seasons, I think, as a Clemson fan. I think that's a great point. Uh, the whole year we've kind of, at, le- at least I have, been looking over at Alabama. It's like a shadow and being like, oh, you know, Judy is looking so good. All these wide receivers, all this talent. Tua's, you know, throwing it all over the park, uh, all over the park, wrong reference. <laughs> throwing it all over the field and is, you know, looking unstoppable halfway, uh, just playing games halfway through. And, and that, I do think, really did create a shadow. The other interesting thing for me, just from a fan perspective, is being uh, able to watch Trevor Lawrence and then, like, whenever a pass is incomplete or a series doesn't end in a touchdown, it's like, what in the world? What happened? Right? Like th- mm. this is, you know, what's going on just because the expectation I think is so high with Trevor Lawrence that we're going to score every single time he touches the ball, every single drive. Um, so there have been these just like unrealistic expectations. And then the, the, the Alabama factor kind of weighing in, I think to how fans have kind of understood the season and that, you know, comes after being beaten by Alabama last year in the playoff. I think that also has factored into how we watch this team. Um, but if you just looked at the season itself um, in isolation, I've gone back and, you know, it's the dead period, right? I mean, we're just uh, waiting for Notre Dame. Watched yep. a bunch of games, a bunch of highlights. And it's like, man, this is a really good team, especially when you watch the highlights last year and how frustrating it was to kind of 
you know, struggle with some of these ACC teams every single, you know, game, Virginia Tech and, and NC know, State. Georgia yeah. Tech. Yeah, and NC State was like, wow, we were in dogfights all the way to the end with a bunch of these teams. And this year, you know, once we get past Syracuse, it's just like, boom. You know, there is no absolutely nothing. I mean, Duke, right? We we're like, oh, we didn't blow them out in the first quarter. Everybody's <laughs> up in arms. Um, so, yeah, so as from a fan perspective, I think you're absolutely right. It's kind of like this expectation that goes along with Trevor Lawrence's aura and his hair and everything and the Bama factor. Yeah, 100%. Well, um, look, all the goals are still ahead of this team, and um, we have high hopes uh, for another championship, and it's definitely in the, in the, the Tigers' sights here. So why don't we move on to the Cotton Bowl? Uh, Clemson, as everyone well knows, will be the two seed, kind of playing the quote-unquote home host role for Notre Dame. Um, and we really can't, I mean, we'd be remiss to um, not start talking about this preview without addressing the um, pending uh, decision on the suspensions of three Clemson Tigers uh, for trace elements of a banned substance. Uh, Dexter Lawrence, Braden Galloway, and Zach Gela, um, both uh, look, not telling anyone any information they don't know, nor do we have any news here. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday night, um, so we were expecting at the earliest to have heard about this today. Um, no news has come out on this front, but um, you know, a lot of discussions already happened about this. Like, is it is it right that you know parts per million or parts per billion trace elements of something that is likely coming from a contaminated substance that these three happen to come into contact with, like? We can talk about the fairness of this or, you know, the what's right, everything else. I guess the team seems to be operating under the assumption that they will not be able to play, at least in the Notre Dame game. So with that, I mean, where are you guys in terms of the impact that might have again in this matchup against Notre Dame? Obviously, Big Dex is, you know, the, the most impactful loss if, if that were to happen. Where do you guys land on this one? I can definitely start. Um, yeah. My first reaction is boo. Uh, golly. I mean, it's just to have Dexter Lawrence who, I mean, if he's healthy and he's just becoming, like everyone doesn't understand just how injured he was. Like he could barely get up on his tippy toes. I kept saying this last year, but he had like nerve damage in his legs pretty much. And I mean, this year he's still, I think, rounding into shape. And so I was really looking forward to a postseason where he gives us, you know, what we thought we were getting, you know, after his freshman year, where he's just like a dominant presence heading into the NFL draft. And so I feel almost like cheated out of uh, the deck star here at the end, because um, you know, I mean, there's no, he, I mean, he could come back, but there's no realistic expectation for him to to come back for another year. I, you know, I, I, I fully believe he's a top 15 pick. In my book, he's a top five pick just because of his where we know he could be. So, uh, you know, it, it's just awful. And it, it is a big loss for the team um, stopping the run because that's going to be a really important part of making Notre Dame one-dimensional. And you have to make them one-dimensional to be able to, uh, I think, cover book easily, easier. And we'll get into more of that when, when we talk about the matchup. But So that's a huge loss. Um, it, but it's also a loss for Braden Galloway. If, for example, he's... he's uh, not able to play next year, right? Or if there's some, like, if it continues on the, the suspension, um, that could be a really big loss for uh, the tight end position because we don't really have anyone who can, you know, stretch the field. We haven't had that person really this year either. 
and Garrett Williams might leave to the uh, to the armed forces. And so that leaves a huge hole at tight end that Braden Galloway can't be that guy uh, moving forward. And and everyone, you know, is very optimistic about his future and looks like he's, a, you know, a star in the making. So that that is a huge loss if he has to redshirt, if he can't play. Um, and then Zach Gilla, uh, I, you know, He's going to end his career here, too. Uh, that might open up another spot for the O-line if, if we want, if we can take it. I'm not even sure about the specifics of that, but uh, definitely a huge loss for, you know, this game. And if we went to Alabama and he's still out, that just, just feels awful. Yeah, it really does. It's it's tragic for these guys. It's, it's definitely a bummer um, just for the matchup pending here. I mean, one thing I've been chatting about with my friends was, could Braden Galloway have been sort of the O.J. Howard-esque weapon, you know, right. hidden, hidden weapon for this playoff? And now we may not find out. <laughs> and who knows if the offensive staff was planning around that. And I don't really know that Mylon Richard's going to be able to play that role, per se. That's a great point, especially because one of the things that Notre Dame likes to do, and here I'm getting into the matchup, sorry. No, is let's do it. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they like to lock down uh, on the outside, right? And so it really does, like, the, the middle of the field is often open and, and uh, you know, it can be exploited against Notre Dame and sitting down in, in that zone coverage, little pockets uh, for tight ends to be able to use uh, that, that Clemson's offense could use. So that that is a potentially a huge loss because, I mean, most teams have not been able to really throw against their corners very much. I mean, it's going to be a key matchup in the game. Um, but the tight end underneath, uh, you know, that's why the slot and the tight end were, were two positions that I think Clemson was going to definitely use to their advantage. And, and Galloway's your best bet there. Right. Absolutely. I mean, let's let's maybe migrate or transition into the matchup and we can stick with Clemson's offense. It, it, Notre Dame's strength is certainly in their secondary and their safety play in their corners um, certainly have been capable and adept. I mean, they, they have not faced... Uh, the caliber of offense and the caliber of weapons of a Clemson thus far this year, uh, but certainly have proven capable against pretty solid passing offenses. That is their strength. Um, I think they they do have some talent on the D-line that can get after the passer, but that really, I mean, I do expect, you know, that Clemson's points on the scoreboard are going to be largely dictated by how well Trevor Lawrence can do on the outside, but um, we could certainly be making our bones and extending drives through through the air through the middle of the field, as you mentioned. And um, it, to have one less weapon there, it probably puts even more pressure now on the Hunter Renfro, um, you know, savior of his team. Um, I don't know. I mean, are, are there any other kind of, let's assume Galloway is out, any other wrinkles you guys might try to dial up, let's say you're Tony Elliott, um, to get the passing game going for Trevor Lawrence? I'd definitely spread out, go four wide, um, use... Uh, your uh, advantage at, at wide receiver. Use Justin Ross, get him on the field as much as possible. Uh, this is something that we were going to do last year before. I mean, T. Higgins was kind of injured going into the game, and so they tried to, you know, have him run out there and use him, but he just couldn't go after uh, a little while. And so, yeah, I think that that's one, one of the ways that you combat that. I've been really impressed with uh, the safety play by... Uh, Notre Dame. Alohi Gilman is a transfer from Navy, hmm. uh, from North Shore, and he—I mean—he's opportunistic. He's a, a ball hawk. Uh, he's a good tackler in space. He plays well. Um, 
just solid overall. Uh, and, and they have great corner play as well with, with both of their guys. So they do a really good job of, uh, of matching up and not giving up much over the top. So I think Clemson's going to have to try and, and hit some one-on-one matchups and, and 50-50 jump balls. But uh, you really, like you said, Hunter Lawrence or Hunter Lawrence, Hunter Hunter Renfro is going to be the guy on uh, those quick passing downs to get and convert first downs. And then Clemson is going to have to run the ball. And Notre Dame has been susceptible to giving up about four yards of carry to most teams. Um, but Clemson's going to have to be able to impose its will on the ground. And if they're not, then that's going to be a huge problem for the for the offense overall. Um, they, Notre Dame doesn't get a lot of uh, a, a lot of sacks. Um, they're solid on the defensive line, but they 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 don't really sack a lot. So there's going to be opportunities for Trevor Lawrence to hang in the pocket and deliver. So um, I'm I'm looking for some four wide stretching everybody out, making some safeties play one on one, and then we're going to have to win up win win matchups in in the pass game. Yeah, it strikes me too with the strength of their secondary. You're you're not likely to get chunk yardage after the catch. I think with the strength of their right. safeties, as you referenced, it's going to be can you win the the 50-50 balls or come down with with the catch. Um, that's kind of going to be what you get. So we maybe may, may see a lot of a lot of like the play count start to rise with short hit passes. Um, that that might be how we have to do it. But I agree. I think the the focus of this offense does need to be on getting number nine activated. And out into into space, um, QT. I know you've you've watched a good amount of Notre Dame's play, and you've you've come away impressed. How how's their tackling, and how how do you feel like they've been against? Uh, certainly, they've not seen a running back as talented as Etn, but um, knowing his style of you know plowing through after contact, how do you feel that he'll stand up against their their linebackers? I think he'll be fine against their linebackers. They their safeties are the ones that. Uh keep all the chunk yardage down because they, they take good angles and they wrap up and then they, you know, kind of gang tackle. So uh, Notre Dame has been happy and, and they've given up like, I think it's like 3.8 yards per carry on the ground. Um, so I, you know, I think there's a real opportunity there for ETN to bust some big runs. Um, but he, you know, he's going to, he's going to get eight yards of carry. You know, I'm hoping not eight <laughs> yards of carry, but he's going to be able to, to get eight yards on a lot of carries. Um, I, I don't think he's going to get, you know, breaking for touchdowns or anything, but um, that is going to be there, and that's what we're going to have to kind of exploit all night. But but if the offensive line can't push around their defensive line and, you know, and we're getting like eight yards but also getting stopped, then it becomes a much, much tougher game. But if we can get ETN going, then, then this will be a difficult game for, for Notre Dame and we'll, you know, kind of connect with, where the line is for Vegas and everything, and, and Clemson wins by two touchdowns. But uh, if we're going to have to rely on the passing game and getting into third and long, that that is where Notre Dame, I think, is best at challenging quarterbacks and making quarterbacks uh, make mistakes. Um, the Syracuse game was really interesting because I thought all year long Notre Dame was a bit overrated and a bit of a fraud, and then they went in you know, and just basically handled Syracuse easily. Uh, I went back and watched that game again, and uh, you know the the Syracuse quarterback goes down in about the third series, I believe, after he had thrown a uh, uh, interception in the second series where he got baited into a bad throw. So that's going to be a, another key matchup is whether or not Trevor Lawrence is able to not put any balls in jeopardy, and he's done such a good job of that all year long. Um, I mean, you know, he's had a few kind of 
stupid interceptions here and there. But for the majority of his passes, it hasn't just been luck. You know, he's got such a superior arm talent that uh, the ball gets there and there isn't any kind of ball in jeopardy um, going on. But this secondary will will make Lawrence have his best game. So um, is it just that Notre Dame has been playing really bad quarterbacks up to this point and, and they've been able to kind of play with them? Or uh, and and is is Trevor Lawrence's talent just gonna you know chop him up all over the field? I mean that's that's the hope, but that's gonna be another matchup to watch out uh, to watch as the the game goes on. Can we run the ball? And then if we can't run the ball, are they gonna get Trevor Lawrence to throw some bad throws into and and turn the ball over? And they're really good, opportunistic, turn the ball over, and then that offense is able to to score some points. QT, let me ask you about your your favorite your. I guess perpetual man crush, Trevor Lawrence. I'm curious, like you saw all year that he progressed. He, I think when he came out of the gates early on, he was very much locking in to receivers and not going through progressions. But it seemed seemed that he got better making more reads and sitting in the pocket and really dissecting things. How do you see this time off and this month lead up? Do you see that as beneficial for him? And do, like, what are the things that he could like? What gaps in his his game could he potentially fill during this time? No, that's a good question of what, how much, you know, the time off is going to help him with his his progression. He needed to learn how to continue to to make the checks at the line, right, and and reading the RPOs and and making the right calls on the RPOs. But generally, I mean, the coaches I think have been really uh, pleased with his progression there. Um, I I think they're looking for, you know, with this time off, you could look for more wrinkles that are added to the offense and where he's running the ball a little bit more. Um, you know, making sure that he stays healthy. But, you know, in the, the, the playoff, I think we could see him use his legs a little bit more. I, I think that uh, is the biggest progression he's made over the season, knowing when to throw the ball away, when to, um, you know, leave the pocket, being just more comfortable in the pocket. Early on, he got sacked a few more times than he should have um, and and uh, and maybe threw the ball a little bit quicker than he needed to in certain, certain situations. And so... Um, I, I also think that the offensive line has just progressed in their pass blocking. They were really bad, I think, at the beginning of the, the season, and, and they've gotten better as things have gone on. And so Trevor Lawrence has, has had a little bit more time um, to, to sit in the pocket and, and survey and go through progressions and just be being comfortable going through progressions rather than just kind of throwing it. So that I think it's, you know, it's a, a lot of things going into it because I, I actually don't think that Lawrence was really the the problem early on in terms of like just locking in on one guy and not knowing where to go. Like he 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 knows where his checkdowns are and he knows um, what he's supposed to do, but you know he's just kind of getting used to pressure and getting used to uh, an offensive line that wasn't you know kind of giving him as much time as maybe he was used to in high school or some other some other time. So um, yeah, so that that's where I think he's made the the most progression over the season and that's a great question about uh wrinkles i yeah i think we'll use his legs a little bit more uh and and i, I the one caveat i would add to that is he, did, he didn't know where etn was all the time when he was leaking out and, and hitting the running back out of the flats is is maybe um where he needed to improve a little bit more so those two things i think are where we saw the most most progression it's a good question yeah for sure i think an area I hope he's able to develop is also just a little bit of the situational awareness stuff. Um, we saw a couple scrambles this year. He went in for a slide, maybe half a yard too short. Um, 
or stepped out of bounds a little too short before a first down. But I think also, I mean, we we were so spoiled with Deshaun Watson. Seemed like that guy had eyes in the back of his head, sensing pressure, knowing when to scramble, knowing when to stay, you know, hang tight in the pocket. And hopefully that is something, you know, with the coaching staff, with film review, with this time off, he can he can develop and look back at certain situations and know what decision to make in the moment going forward. Um, I, I don't know how much of that is experience versus coachability, but anyway, the, those are the kind of plays that can certainly make a difference in a t- an otherwise really tight, tense matchup, extending a drive, for instance. Um, but overall, I mean, I feel really strong about his instincts, and I, I could certainly see him getting to the point where Deshaun was, certainly a little bit less mobile. Although, my God, um, in that the, the ACC championship game, he looked like a gazelle. He basically surpassed <laughs> ETN on that first touchdown. This is what I was trying to say early on. It's like he doesn't have the the – short space kind of shiftiness but he has the speed like he can uh once he gets those legs churning like he he's as fast as anybody he's as fast as Deshaun was I think Mm -hmm. um but Deshaun is much more kind of crafty shifty can make somebody miss um but you know that that'll continue to progress as well for uh for Trevor Lawrence because I mean you remember in the pit game he kind of made a move on one guy who just went flying by him I mean maybe that was the rain we I don't know but uh you know, he made at least one guy miss, that's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and just one more thing to add to that. The sack rate this year has gone down, right? And so we – this season, the last season, uh, we are not giving up as many sacks. And a lot of that has to do with Trevor Lawrence getting the ball out quickly. Yeah, but also kudos to the offensive line, I think, for better uh, better pass blocking. I said something nice about the offensive line. <laughs> we will commemorate this moment. Um <laughs> Any other thoughts, you guys, from just the Clemson offensive standpoint? I mean, what score, if you could, if you could guess, if Clemson surpasses a certain score, do you feel confident this, this is a, a Tigers win? You think we're good with twenty-four points, twenty-eight? Do you think we need to get into the thirties? I'm gonna go thirties. I, I think once we're in the thirties, we're 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 in good shape. Yeah, I'm still uh, worried about a good quarterback ripping up our secondary. So that, I mean, that's the main matchup that I'm worried about for this game. So yeah, I'm uh, if we could score 35. I feel, feel pretty good. Yeah. I guess we can quickly transition there to the, the defense. Um, we, we obviously know what we're going to get out of the defensive line. Certainly if, if Dex can't go, um, I, I for one feel good about what Albert Huggins can give in the passing game, just from a, a pass rush standpoint. I feel like the D-line will hold up there. Um, it won't be felt as much in this game as it would versus Alabama. They've got a much more potent running attack, and they're obviously very balanced. Um, for me, I think it, it has been and will continue to be question marks in the secondary and with line, our linebackers in pass coverage, um, how they hold up in this game. I mean, tell me, guys, what you know about Ian Book, maybe in terms of a comp of other quarterbacks we face in our schedule. QT. That's a great question. I'm, I'm I'm punning it to Nick on that one. <laughs> Cody, what do you think? Cody, sorry, Who's like Cody. the most? I don't know. Ian Book asked. It's got to be Ryan Finley. Like QT, you can tell me if you agree with that. But it's got to be Ryan Finley in the sense that it's not not a lot of downfield arm strength, but a lot of the quick release stuff and like high completion percentage, that sort of thing. Which, by the way, we did we did really great against NC State and, and Ryan Finley, and I hope the thing, same thing uh, happens against Notre Dame. But what, what's who's your comp? 
Uh, that's a tough question. I'm not sure we faced a quarterback this year that really was kind of where Book is at. I, I agree completely with your your comparison or what what you're saying about his arm talent. It's, he doesn't have Notre Dame fans complain uh, a lot about uh, his inability to kind of throw the ball deep and accurately uh, deep. But he's really good in in you know these short routes and things. I, the the difference I think between Finley and Book is more the offensive design. And I think Notre Dame's offensive design is much better than Finley. And Brent Venables kind of figured out uh, and had his guys drilled on what NC State was going to do, the routes they were going to run, because we were just sitting all night on, on you know, whatever route NC State was running. So the guys, the, the secondary against NC State was just, I think, played extremely well. Um but they also kind of knew what was coming. So they were sitting on the underneath routes, really, uh, and, and um, the, the hooks, the, the, the curl patterns, all this stuff. They, they knew what was coming. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that against Notre Dame because Notre Dame's design, I think, is superior. I mean, I've been watching a lot of these play calls and just been really impressed with Notre Dame's ability to get guys open with some rub routes, some mesh routes, um, getting uh spreading people out and getting safeties isolated and so somebody's always coming open so that that i think is something that you really have to worry about it's not explosive plays right it's but it's being able to convert first downs consistently book if he gets in a rhythm and and part of his ability to get in a rhythm is the play calling um somebody's open so if he's accurate and somebody's open and he's not feeling the pressure then he's a really good quarterback I mean, most quarterbacks are good if they're, you know, not getting pressure and their guys are getting open. But, uh, uh, but they, yeah, it, he's like similar to Finley, but uh, I think the the play design is superior to what NC State puts on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think where I'm taking solace from what I've watched of this Notre Dame team, um, we saw what Pitt's D line was all about in the beginning of that game. They they brought the pressure, and um, outside of a few plays early on, it kind of did feel like they were successful and. Um, they were also successful against Notre Dame. Um, so, again, I think that that's a decent enough comp. I mean, our D-line is much more skilled and talented and deep than than Pitt's. Um, Notre Dame is going to do what they can to have quick releases to try to, you know, stymie our, our pass rush. Um, but I think it is something – I mean, I guess that's, that's an open question I have about their O-line is, like, do we think they can stand up and it, um, stand up to, like – if our linebackers can actually hold in immediate coverage, um, you know, how, how well can they keep, keep book upright? And um, I don't know. I've, I, I kind of feel like that's battle Clemson wins nine times out of 10. Yeah, I'd agree there. Um, Notre Dame doesn't send much pressure. They'll send situational pressure. I think no, Brenton Venables is going to rack it up the pressure and just bring it and, and try to disrupt book as much as possible and kind of uh, let the the secondary kind of try to, to hang. And and I thought we would do this and be able to do this against South Carolina as well, though. So that's where I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to say that uh, we'll be able to just kind of uh, pressure them and that book will fall apart and then we'll, you know, easily kind of win the game because that did not happen against South Carolina and they gave a bit of a blueprint for how you can attack our, our secondary um, and then wear down the the defensive line so that they're you know neutralized to a certain degree. They can't 
get as much pressure. Um, I, I'll be interested to see, and this is kind of an X factor for me in the game, how much we drop uh, Cleland Furl into coverage or Xavier Thomas back into coverage and try to bait our own, you know, baiting of the quarterback into some mistakes and into some bad throws because they try to, uh, you know, kind of hit those flats and hit the, the open guy, whether we can confuse book enough mm. with that, because they're going to try to get the ball out quickly. I think exactly like South Carolina did. Yeah, for sure. Is there any, sort of schematic or personnel wrinkle that you you could see working out here um, I know there's a lot of talk of Jamie Skalski potentially getting playing time he'll still be redshirt eligible even if he plays in this game and the national championship if we get there um, any any sort of personnel angles if the I guess starters are, are getting eviscerated I would have said well you know we're going to use a nickel right but we didn't do that all year uh, you know, it's not something that Brent Venables get another DB on the field. It's not something that Brent Venables has done. Uh, for whatever reason, Mark Fields has not been able to stay on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was in a yellow jersey again this week, not uh, uh, participating. And so I don't think that that's where Brent Venables is going to go, sticking Mark Fields on onto the field. Um so, you know, I think we're going to roll with, with Simmons. And, I mean, Mullen and, and A.J. Terrell are, are great, I think, as cornerbacks. It's that relationship between the linebackers and, and the secondary where we run into problems and when we go into zone coverage. So, yeah. That um, interfacing. Tra- mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I feel like that's that interface there is where Jake Bentley just thrived. And then you had some over-pursuit moments. Um, and I think it just snowballed. I think um, the secondary kind of got into their heads. I, I haven't done too much. I, I, I kind of put that game behind me. Didn't do too much reading and analysis afterward about what happened. But for me, it, it just seemed like it snowballed. And, um, you know, hopefully that's been a learning moment and a learning point for um, not only, you know, the, the linebackers but and Simmons, but um, certainly the safety play as well. I think Trey Lamar being on the field helps us out a lot as well. Um, that that gives us, uh, you know, he he's better I think with the calls and and some of the the short area and he blitzes uh, a little bit better and is faster. Um, so that that's a little bit of difference since he was injured at the South Carolina game that that helps us. Um, but yeah, I mean it'll be an interesting interesting to see how Brent Venables attacks. I would definitely have put you know Goodrich or Kyler McMichael on the field. Um, but I, you know, that hasn't happened all year. And if you're going to do it in the playoffs, then that was probably a wrinkle that should have, you know, been integrated as the season progressed. Cause there's plenty of blowout games where we could have uh, worked in Goodrich and, and McMichael in a specific nickel role moving forward. It, it's also not something I, I like, I don't think that that is the worst problem against Notre Dame. Like uh, I think we'll be all right. Tanner Muse will have some more time. Wallace, you know, I mean, Wallace got yanked off the field, and and everybody was pretty upset with his coverage, you know, man-to-man coverage. But I think they, you know, they're not as bad as they were against South Carolina at all. The question, though, is when you go up against, and this has been the question for me all season, is when you go up against Alabama's really good skill players. I mean, they have five guys who can beat you um, in the secondary. What do we do then? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and can our guys hang with them? But that you know, that's a question for for next week, not not for this week. So <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think we'll be all right with, with Lamar, Joseph, Simmons, Muse, and Wallace. And, and being having a month, like Brent Venables is really good with having after having a month schooling his guys up on, on what they're going to see. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think the, the national narratives and storylines, and if you watch all the ESPN previews and all that, is really actually talking more about the one-on-one matchups on the on the outside of the receiver position. Notre Dame having you know, capable, tall receivers, talking about Clemson's, sec, you know, Clemson's corners and those matchups. Um, I, to me, I'm not all that concerned about that, but where do you guys land on kind of Mullen and um, Terrell kind of holding their own? Uh, Book has been really good at throwing those back shoulder throws all season. And, I mean, surprisingly good. Very accurate, gets the ball out pretty quickly. Um but yeah, I, I don't think Notre Dame has really faced as good of cover corners as as Mullen and and Terrell. I mean, I think AJ Terrell has just progressed all season and has turned himself into he's the next kind of first round uh, draft pick from the secondary. If Mullen leaves after the season, which is I I think expected, uh, I've been expecting it all year. So um, you know, I, I I feel good about some of those matchups. Those guys are big, but they're not like speedsters. And that works favorably for, for Clemson. And, um, you know, we, we have no problem being physical with wide receivers. It's when they run right past us that I think we have a little bit more trouble. You have to watch out for their number 10. Uh, he's, you know, the, the walk-on gritty, you know, uh, slot guy who can get open. I think he's a, a bit of a, a matchup problem if he's put one-on-one with our safeties. Yeah, and there's a lot of talk of um... – they're they have a two two headed monster at tight end also i think alizé mack and nick weishar are um are their tight ends a lot of talk about those two getting involved in the passing game too that's something we know in the past tight end has been sort of an achilles heel for this defense at times i don't recall this season having faced any matchups where that that showed it that showed itself but um, that's maybe another thing to think through or to a matchup to look for um particularly if uh you know, the guys on the outside are taking care of it. Um, yeah, that's a good good point. I, I don't think that their tight ends are as explosive. Like, we don't have to worry about O.J. Howard plays, but they, you know, good in the red zone, getting first downs, moving the chains. I think that's that's more where we're, we would need to be concerned. Yeah, getting them off the field on third, et cetera, right? I right. mean, um, Chip Long's their O.C. He came from Memphis um, in the Mike Norvell system there. I think that was before they moved to – a bit of a that was after Fuente was at Memphis um but anyway I mean I, you know I think he's definitely turned Notre Dame around um and kudos to their offensive staff they look really solid this year but um again I think this is the aspect on the field where talent can win out it's just a matter of again that I don't really expect Notre Dame to have a lot of explosive plays it would just be the methodical can they just keep keep grinding, keep the drives extended, keep Trevor Lawrence off the field. I think that's their that's their kind of formula for for a win or at least keeping this thing close. And one minor note there, um, nobody talked about, at least nationally, I, I, I don't think, about the switch from Wimbush to to uh, to Book, right? Uh, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, well, and I was going to say, like, Clemson received all this coverage and all this flack for, you know, being really transparent and open with Kelly Bryant and doing it in the fourth game rather than the fifth game, which is just, I mean, that, 
Dabo Sweeney is a saint. I mean, that that that's an amazing move by a coach. But, you know, it's really interesting to think about last year, all of these quarterbacks, Wimbush, uh, Hertz, and, uh, and uh, Kelly Bryant as the kind of, you know, dual threat running quarterback um, stronger than the passing game and how every one of these programs has switched to a more, you know, passing oriented attack or quarterback plays of that strength that can run, but is more passing oriented and that all three of those teams enter into the playoff, just something. Yeah. No, I mean, I think to me and no, no disrespect to those three fine quarterbacks, I think you got to be a Lamar Jackson level of talent to make it work or a Deshaun Watson level of talent to make it work. And Deshaun certainly had the passing accolades and attributes that far exceeded all of those guys. Um, so you can win, you can win and you can make, make championship games and get pretty far with, with above average kind of dual threat. But uh, to really get over and make that the best possible form of your offense, I think you really need the most elite talent there. And that's not really what you get with those guys. Although I will say Jalen Hurts, I mean, he looked really strong at the end of that Georgia game. Again, it was like four series worth, but um, maybe of that grouping, he's probably the most most talented. Interesting. Um, anyway, any other kind of Cotton Bowl thoughts? You guys feel like the spread is about accurate or maybe a little generous toward Clemson? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's a little generous towards Clemson. Um, I see, you know, kind of like an eight point Clemson win right now. Um, and I'm extremely nervous. I mean, I don't know if that's just like, I mean, I'm always nervous. So that, that's, <laughs> yeah, but I felt pretty good against Ohio state. I felt pretty good against Oklahoma. Of course, Alabama was like, what, why aren't yeah. we playing Wisconsin? We got gypped last awesome. year with that matchup <laughs> as the one seed, no less. Yeah, I know. It's like, golly. Um, but, no, I, you know, with this matchup, I think I'm just a bit squeamish because we know so little about each team against elite competition. Um, and, yet again, you know, that that isn't, like, for revisionist history or anything like that. But, um, you know, it would have been nice in the ACC championship game to have gone against a little bit better caliber team to really test ourselves after the South Carolina game. And it would have been nice if Notre Dame actually had to play a conference championship game uh, to be able to see what level of kind of program they were at. Um, you know, they because they didn't they stumbled a whole bunch throughout the season. The USC game, they I mean, you know, they were they were awful uh, in that game in the first half. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, and so I yeah I think I think this is more an eight point game because there's more unknowns right now. So we, okay, you got eight points. What is your prediction final score? Oh, God. I, I'm not very good at this, but uh, I said 35 points, right? So Clemson, 35, Notre Dame, uh, G27, I guess that would be minus eight. I, I, I mean, I'm uh, – God. Yeah, let's go with that. Or 42-35, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think this team, this Clemson team has shown they're able to, if they are giving up points, they're able to, you know, put the pedal to the metal. They're undefeated, obviously, they can outscore teams, but they're they're able to win in that type of a game where it does kind of get, get pointsy. Um, Notre Dame has certainly had games where they open it up like that. Syracuse, Virginia Tech were two that come to mind for me. Um, I don't, 
I don't really know though. I kind of feel like to me, it's going to be lower scoring than that. And I think that, um, that plays to our advantage somewhat. I don't know. I don't really expect them to be able to run up the play count too much on Clemson. Again, if they're extending drives, you can get into that. Uh, but book's not that mobile necessarily. So I don't necessarily see his legs extending drives. I think it's going to be just all come down to their passing game. We didn't really touch too much actually on the Notre Dame running game. Um, just because Clemson has been so capable and we, we trust in Brent Venables to, I mean, that's not really their key to victory, but he can, he's shown the ability to scheme and eliminate the run um, from another team's strength. So um, I don't really know that that'll be a factor, but yeah, I, I kind of, I, I lean more toward your earlier prediction, 35, 27, maybe even lower scoring than that overall. Yeah. I'm going to amend now. See, I'm already, <laughs> already hedging. 34 24 how how do you like that 34 24 yeah i'll go a little bit wider i, I if if we would have played notre dame in like i don't know week seven or week eight you know where jake bentley was able to hang 35 on us i, I think maybe we would have been susceptible to a, a letdown but i think with you get to see the coaching chops this that this team has particularly brent venables so i'm thinking it's something more like like the washington alabama game or the clemson oklahoma game uh both playoff games in years past and it's something like 41 17 where like we just out talent them and and the coaching is kind of uh it's it, it's kind of a, a push there i like that score that's a good score yeah i'm happy, happy with that i mean i also don't want to rule out the possibility of another ohio state though i mean i certainly think that that is a that is a possibility here um in that game clee just went off and went nuts um these guys are going to be playing with a chip depending on what plays out with dexter lawrence here um I don't know. That's kind of that's my rose tinted glasses uh, outlook. Is they're going to be hungry for not necessarily a shutout, but certainly they will not show up flat footed in the first quarter. But we will see. And that will be the Cotton Bowl. Um, our game is the matinee that day. It'll be Oklahoma OU um, immediately following, and this one's on the 29th, which I like. I, I didn't like when we had to play on New Year's Day or on New Year's Eve in years past. I kind of like it being just a miscellaneous Saturday um, before all the, uh, the New Year's festivities. But um, what are you guys – I just want to do like a, a one-minute temperature check on the Alabama OU matchup in the Orange Bowl. Does OU have any shot here? I think we heard today Tua is feeling 80 to 85%. He said that into a microphone, so chances are he's actually lower than that. But never know; could be gamesmanship. Uh, but we're, how, you know, how do you guys feel? Does oh, you have any shot? Let's go with Cody uh, first. Yeah, sorry. No, cool. This spreads fourteen, and man, lay the points. It's I think with Alabama's running game, it doesn't matter if it's Hurts or if it's Tua. They if they they could run two thirds of the time, and they're probably going to have success. I'm talking five or six yards a carry, if not more. Um, so with that, I think they can control the game, control the time of possession, and, and they win by and they win going away. Yeah, uh, the Oklahoma defense is that bad. Um, and I, I'm not breaking any news here, but um, Tua's foot is pretty good. Like, it's fine. And it's going to be fine before game time. Um that surgery that they they do where they clean it up it, it it's an amazing surgery and uh, you know he he's i think he's like 100% if not you know he's 95% if not 100% um and i've talked to a few family members around him he's fine um 
So, yeah, I don't think Oklahoma has any shot in the world. Um, I think, you know, Kyler is amazing and everything, but the whole Alabama defense can run. They're not going to lose contain all that often. I love, you know, the the play calls from Oklahoma and some of the, you know, ingenuity. So they, they might be able to get score a few points, but um, after that, the, the defensive line for Alabama and their height and their size and their reach – is going to be a lot of trouble for for Murray to to be able to throw over, um, so he's going to be bothered. Oklahoma's defense is garbage, uh, and they're going to get smashed. Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty safe bet there. I mean, the one the one thought we had, and Cody and I talked about this on an earlier podcast this year, was I think OU is one. Yes, their defense is awful, so even if Clemson were to match up with them. Um, we'd feel good about it. But I think the variance of that offense and the explosiveness um, certainly could present some challenges. But I actually would have rather have seen Alabama face a much stronger defensive team. And I don't really know who that would have been from other teams not making the playoff. I mean, another crack at Georgia might have been interesting. Probably would have posed the best matchup. Maybe a Michigan would have been interesting too. I don't really know that this OU matchup is going to give our coaching staff too much of a blueprint for how to how to – prod poke and expose alabama at all um but perhaps they're perhaps alabama's secondary that might be the one area that um lincoln riley with play calling with with what they're able to get done with oklahoma's skill players i mean maybe there there are some learnings there that they they could expose um but yeah i think it's going to be a laugher yeah i think georgia was the best blueprint that that clemson was going to get uh even in the playoff and uh, I mean, the other, you know, factor in this is Saban and his army of support staff and mm-hmm. millions of former coaches who are hanging out uh, in the new, like, minor league system for coaches or whatever <laughs> is, uh, I mean, he's going to have scouted out everything about Oklahoma and they're going to know exactly what to do. So, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, you have a better shot if you're going against Alabama in that second game than than the first game that's a that's a tough tall order well i'm sure that coaching staff and the army of analysts stopped their ou research after about three days and moved on to clemson after that yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> but at least they should have if i were them um well yeah so looks like guys were we're on a collision course for bama clemson four um, coming up here we get the chance to avenge next year's loss let's hope or i'm sorry last year's loss let's hope not next year let's hope not um so anyway that'll be fun it's out here in california um we will certainly on the podcast do what we can to give people advice on where to stay and if you're booking that trip um we also hope to host a tailgate for that too so stay tuned for more details on that you can definitely um probably the best place to get that info from us is on our social media accounts facebook twitter Uh, we're on there just look for a clemson podcast and uh, that's kind of our our semifinal preview, at least. Um, any other parting thoughts, guys, about kind of this semifinal? Um, I'll give you a, a minute to to vamp if you want, but um, it, there's been a lot of chatter about an 18 playoff expansion. <laughs> we can move on if you don't want to talk about that at all. But I'm good with four personally. I, I find that um, really this is about finding the champion, finding the best team. Sometimes you have three that are that are right there, and you're not really sure among three teams. It's kind of how we got into this with um, some teams getting a hose in the BCS system. I don't really think, you know, five and six and seven and eight have a say or should have a a shot at it. So 
for me, four has been a good system. I understand we are in a power five world. There's the group of five, so kind of a sixth team. And then there's always going to be these Georgia cases where they feel like they are among among the best four, but conference circumstances kept them out of it. But uh, I say tough to that. you got to win your matchups. You should not be getting blown out um, if you're really the best team in the country. So I'm, I'm on team four team playoff over here. I was uh, at the beginning of the playoff, like totally on board with eight uh, as the number. But having gone through it four straight times, oh yeah, um, <laughs> it is. Uh, it, I mean, it is like tough and difficult on fans, right? To go to each of yeah. the sites and like the investment and the money and the time and everything. If you're gonna do an eight team, uh, you have to make it so that that first series of games are home games for the team that is the higher seed played at the site at the the home field of of that team and uh, i think that's the only way and you also have to explore like some change in the schedule getting rid of conference championships or getting yeah. rid of one of these extra games or doing something to eliminate the strain of you know moving towards i mean that's like 16 games that uh, on the on these, you know, collegiate athletes who aren't getting paid for anything, right? I mean, yeah, you know, that's something to, to take into consideration. I, I, I would be okay with like a six-team expansion where you um, give the first two seeds a buy, right, and give them some incentive because you have to incentivize some form of, uh, of being the higher seed so yeah, that tearing. you know teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but I, you know, I I agree with you, and everybody is going to complain no matter how many teams there are. Uh, when there's two teams, the third team was complaining, and rightfully so, right? Because the BCS system shouldn't have been at just two two teams. But it, when you have four, five, and six are complaining, when you're going to be at eight, nine, and ten are going to be <laughs> complaining. I mean, if you have 64 teams, then people are complaining, and 68 teams, people are complaining. So you know, like college coaches will complain no matter what like that that's part of what they do is complain about stuff and so uh that shouldn't be a a metric for uh for expansion um the question i think too is about these conference championships and whether that really matters or not uh and that's a question that has to be answered um i see this whole move to the the rewarding the best team what does best mean in georgia and all the arguments for georgia and it's like you got to play and win games on your schedule, right? And you got to, uh, you know, the, the a loss actually means something. And I'm way over my one minute, so oh, I'm no. I'm in with four. I would be okay with six, maybe eight if it was the right kind of design. Uh, but you know, four teams is working out pretty well for Clemson, so I'm fine with it sticking the same. Cody's over here nodding. So I think he <laughs> he, he agrees with you. It's just I it's tough on the players, their bodies. I mean, look at right. 15, like Ben Boulware and Jaron Curse, all those guys, man. Some of them may have get, uh, gave less effort in the championship game. I just think, if nothing else, like 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 you said, they're, they're collegiate athletes. Let's treat them as such. Four teams is enough. Awesome. Well, um, we have QT on. He is uh, the most informed on Clemson recruiting um, that I know. And um, QT, we'd be remiss to not touch on early signing day, uh, which happened – was it the 19th? That was the, the first day um, or open of early signing day or early signing period. Um, so definitely wanted to kind of catch up with you on that. 
Um, certainly the signing period extends through February, or that's really when the next national signing day happens. Um, so we'd love to catch up to you kind of after the dust settles then too. Um, but Clemson comes in, I, I forget where we stand now in some of those services, but we're basically looking around what fifth ranked in the country at this point after, um, putting them fifth, sixth, et cetera. Um, so really a solid class for this coaching staff coming in. Um, maybe QT, you know, what are, what's like the one highlight takeaway for those that are a little less in touch with, they've read the highlights, but what's maybe the, like one big takeaway you have of this recruiting class coming in this year? Well, this is something I've been, uh, writing about and Christmas of course got in the way, but, um, this is an interesting class because it's one of the bigger classes that Dabo Sweeney's ever signed, right? It's at sitting at 27 right now could easily go 230 or I think you could hit 31. Um, so it's a it's a bigger class and because there's bigger you know numbers, uh, it gets ranked higher because we've met that threshold for the recruiting services of how many players that they then gauge. And when you don't have when you don't meet the the threshold of the I think it's 20 then you get dinged for those those spots that you don't have open. So this class is not as talented in a kind of per star average overall versus other classes like last year's class, 2018 class, and the 2017 class. We're just amazingly talented per body that we that we got uh, more so than this class. But this class is is uh, has more bodies and is you know very talented in and of itself. But it isn't it doesn't have the the kind of high-level talent um, that some of the other classes have enjoyed. Um, so that's something to to keep in mind. It's it's bigger, uh, but the the per star average is not as good as other classes. So it's maybe not as uh, as as high end in the the talent pool. Um, that doesn't mean though that we don't have we have a lot of kind of more developmental guys who have that high ceiling, but they're going to need the work to be able to, to achieve that. They, they'll need a couple years in the system. Um, so uh, hopefully for next year, we don't have as many uh, needs for pl- plug and play players because this group is going to need a few years uh, to really kind of uh, show their talent level. So I, I, I think that uh, it's a really quality class overall. Uh, and overall, it meets most of our needs, if not all of our needs. Um, I think the signing of Will Putnam was just huge. I mean, that that really kind of put the the class over the top. Um, the the two stars I think are Andrew Booth on the uh, defensive side of the ball. He was my man crush this year, who I said early on would be a five star high rated player uh, when I saw him uh, playing in the in georgia and at archer and and we were able to land him and so he and and by the way georgia was trying so hard to grab uh booth at the the last minute um so you know kudos to the staff for holding on to his commitment gaining his commitment holding it on uh, holding on to it at the end of this uh of the recruiting session because booth gives you somebody who can plug right in in the the secondary at corner, and then I think that'll give our secondary some flexibility to move guys around. Maybe we move Goodrich or McMichael to a nickel spot or a safety spot because we have uh, somebody as talented as Booth. So he was the big one on defense, and then on offense, it's absolutely Will Putnam uh, as the key player uh, to land, who's somebody who hopefully uh, can play pretty soon and and, uh, can slide into that right guard spot um, and give you that interior depth uh, at least in the two deep, 
that we'll need next year because we're going to rely on our offense next year to be able to score points with, you know, the defensive line taking a step back. Uh, so it was a really important class uh, overall because there are so many slots open um, and it's going to be an important class for the, you know, the, the years to come, just like the, the 2015 class was for, uh, for this, this year. So uh, a lot of reasons to be happy about it. And it's not done yet as well. Yeah, maybe on that front, um, you mentioned this may get up, and again, it'll a lot of it will be predicated on how many takes they're able to have, how many slots, how many scholarships, uh, which may depend on who all goes to the league. So tough to have the crystal ball on that. But you mentioned there may be three, as many as four um, remaining takes. Who do you see them targeting? Or let's say you had more, where do you where do you hope the coaching staff focuses to continue to kind of fill out this class with the remaining three to four slots? So this is a good place to talk about uh, Dabo Sweeney's recruiting philosophy. Um, so Dabo believes in almost like a one-in, one-out kind of mentality. I mean, he really does have the final say in who uh, the coaching staff gets to, to you know, kind of offer, and, and he's the one that okays it based on the position group. And, and the coaching staff has a magical number at every single position group. I would take an additional offensive lineman, you know, surprise, surprise, right? I would take four to five every single year. Um, this, this staff does not believe that they, they t have 15 as their kind of positional group number. They don't want to have more than 15 at any time this year. Right now, if you added, you know, Godfrey, uh, Pat Godfrey, you're sitting at 14. And so there, there's room uh, to add another offensive lineman. I think it would be great if we could grab a tackle, even if it's a developmental tackle, somebody, who can uh, can play tackle to give you depth moving towards in the, the, the moving toward the future. Um, so offensive line, a second running back take is somebody that we're definitely going to uh, be exploring. Uh, Ely is the guy that we've targeted. He may go and play professional baseball. He's an uh, Ole Miss commit right now. Um, so we will take uh, a second running back though for this class. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I would also like to see us target another DB. Uh, I think that some of our current uh, commits at safety could grow or end up playing in the cheetah position, which is Simmons' position, Dorian O'Daniel's position. Um, and so you take kind of one of those numbers away from the safety position, and, and I think there's room to add another corner slash safety, uh, Akeem Dent being the guy who we could target uh, and who we have some connections with and... Uh, the same kind of situation uh, with Trayvon Mullins recruitment could play out with, with Dent as well. So those are the, the three spots that I would say, absolutely. We could definitely take another uh, player there. And then I'm, I'm, you know, if there's additional opportunities, we took two tight ends, so I don't take, think we take a, a, another tight end, but if you, if there's another kind of offensive talent that's out there, I don't know why we wouldn't at least explore it for potentially a jumbo athlete. Um, I don't think we spend anything there. I, I, I might look to add another defensive lineman for sure. Uh, so that's the four. Running back, O-line, uh, safety, DB, and then uh, a defensive end. Sorry, since we, we missed out on, uh, on Crouch to Tennessee, swooping in at the last minute and swaying him. So those are the four. That would put us at 31. I don't think we go over 31, so four slots open uh, that I would take. Yeah, we'll definitely have to see how that plays out. Um, any parting thoughts on Crouch? I mean, it seemed like at the end it was sort of an odd 
odd process for him to declare and announce. Of course, people on Twitter talking about Tennessee's bag men getting to crouch, but where did you land on that one? Try to be tactful with this. Uh, <laughs> crouch is not a bad kid at all, but so I don't mean this as in a negative sense, but he's impressionable. Um, so, you know, he would go on a visit and, and very much an unofficial visit, right? Throughout his recruitment and be very kind of tied into what the coaches were speeding him and saying. And so, um, he was susceptible to somebody coming in at the end and giving him a recruiting pitch and him kind of, you know, digesting it and, and thinking, overthinking the process and, and changing, um, in the end. Uh, it also complicated matters and this is where I have to be tactful when it's not just that he was impressionable but he had people who he trusted who could deliver information to him that he would also trust if that makes any sense and so when Tennessee was able to come in and have a pitch that was tailored around Clemson's misusage of defensive players Shaq Smith for example other examples that resonated with someone who was already impressionable because of the people around him um, helping to make that message more impressionable and him trusting where that message was coming. So that more than anything, not, not anything really shady, although, you know, Tennessee is definitely uh, shady. Like, I'm not saying Tennessee isn't shady, but... Yeah, uh, it's moonshine country. <laughs> um, but that was... I hope that paints a picture of kind of how that recruitment could kind of shift in the last minute. So him taking that visit to Tennessee was just, you know, it was kryptonite to, to Clemson's ability to counter that, bringing him in again. Like if, if Clemson could have had another visit after, I think they could have, you know, flipped that up. again. Yeah. But seemed like uh, last in first out basically in terms of that recruitment. Yeah, it is. But that, that, uh, trusted source of information was also pivotal in kind of uh, when that that information chose to push its weight around that impacted the recruitment that, yeah I, I'm trying to be not say names you know <laughs> all good Greg and Terry, let me ask you about the wide receivers um, you mentioned Putnam as the most important player on offense right. if you Nagata, go to, to Jonah yeah. Gata and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's probably one of the best receivers I've seen on on film. Uh, probably, I guess you can dating back to Davo Sweeney's like his time as head coach. Where where would you rank him as a receiver, and like who does he compare to? Because he doesn't really remind me of anyone. He's just, he's kind of like a what, like a slot or a two type receiver, but with like a, a nine man's body. He's an uh, a great pickup for Clemson to be able to go into California across the country into a great program Folsom. and and to understand that program Dabo was talking about this in his like post game thing it's a small town small community coach has a lot of influence they they don't do that program does not do 7 on 7s they don't do recruiting events and stuff like that um, very much about the team uh, so he didn't have the uh, exposure that other people had even though his brother actually plays at uh, at Washington at UW um, and uh, and he has a younger brother who's a potential running back uh, 
prospect as well who's going to be a good running back, I think. I'm not sure if Clemson's going to move on. I hope so, actually. I think that would be a good fit. Um, but so he didn't have the exposure, but he was always a five-star player, and that's what I was saying uh, on, on Shaking the Southland. This guy was from day one. Uh, he has been a five-star player. He just didn't have the rivals, you know, camp experience or whatever where everybody goes, ooh, ah. Um, he's extremely versatile. He People have asked me, oh, where is he going to play? And it's like, he could play the nine, the five. He could even play the two. So this this person has a lot of upside uh, and versatility, scheme versatility. And it'll be really interesting to see where where the coaching staff ends up putting him with the hole that Renfro is leaving at the at the five spot, but and the the depth that we have at the nine. But he can absolutely play uh, at the the nine position. Great hands, physical. He's gonna block. Uh, he's gonna run down the field. He isn't like the, you know, Ladson is like this, like a kind of almost Martavis Bryant, like has the speed, uh, amazing catch rate, a long arms, right? Plucks the ball out of the air, makes these highlight grabs and just like races everybody down the field. Nagata is, is, Nagata is a bit better, a bit better route runner, more polished, more complete. He's not going to have the physical transformation. So, you know, I'm like moving in more of a Sammy Watkins direction, but I don't want to make that kind of comparison for a player just because that's an unfair comparison to step in day one to to fulfill. But he has like that bigger physical body. I mean, Sammy was just like would destroy people off the line, right? I mean, and get separation was was maybe not as fast as some of the other uh, receivers, but was just as amazingly physical and, and got that separation with their route running. So... Um, yeah, let, let's just say like Watkins without the day one kind of pressure of being Sammy Watkins, like he can be Sammy Watkins in the future, that kind of receiver. I mean, how lucky are we to have had all these names, these guys come through and you look at the guys <laughs> on the current roster, um, who, I mean, I was, I think talking to Cody, watching a game earlier this year, Justin Ross has a chance to be Clemson's best receiver of all time, or at least most most decorated let's put it that way um having having contributed like he has this year so the rich keep getting richer is how i look at these two coming on board and um they're gonna they're both gonna be dynamic in their own way and you know we're gonna be talking about some guy three four five years from now being the next joe nagata right i think too we've seen t higgins kind of take that next step i'm looking forward to higgins just kind of you know, becoming like the dominant alpha presence next year, vaulting into the NFL draft. He gains another five, 10 pounds. He's going to be, I think, ready for a big year with Trevor Lawrence throwing the ball. And you're absolutely right about Ross. I mean, he, the ability to grab Ross out of Alabama was huge, but the ability to grab Ngata out of California, I think is also big. It helps build that pipeline and show, uh, you know, to DJ, in the 2020 class at quarterback that, hey, you don't have to go or stay at USC or even with, you know, Oregon. Cliff. Yeah. You don't have to go to Oregon with, I mean, they have, you know, a connection to the offensive line coach there at Oregon. That's why Oregon keeps popping up. You don't have to do that. You can come across the country to Clemson and you're going to have these great wide receivers that you're going to be able to throw to somebody from California that you know. I, I hope that we continue to mine a little bit uh, this this California connection because there's a lot of great talent out there um, that is you know ripe to be plucked uh, especially when you have somebody with the kind of 
name recognition and charisma of of Bosco's you know DJ Wagalele. Uh, there, I, I tried to say. It. Um, <laughs> well, I, no better uh, advertising out here in California than winning a national championship. Exactly in the exactly. state. So that that's uh, something to look forward to moving moving forward. I think Ngata does that for us and and helps build that. QT, one other player, and unfortunately, unlike previous years, we're not going to be able to go through player by player, but there's one guy that I think that's maybe a little overlooked, late signing Tyler Davis. And the reason is because of our, I guess you would say, attrition and the, and the limitations along the, on the depth chart at defensive tackle for 2019. And I think that's just such a just a still of a sign out of, out of Florida and in a, a huge position of need, at least in the short term. What do you think of Tyler Davis? Oh, if he was six foot, I mean, if he was like two inches taller, he's six foot one. If he was two inches taller, he would have been a top 50 player easily. I mean, I, I, I think he's, you know, top 100 player. Um, I, I, he would have gone to Florida State had they not had this awful season. And he almost went to Florida State. Um, but, you know, he could kind of see the, the chaos that was there. Uh, and that's how Clemson was able to land him. He's a huge need. Um, defensive tackle, you know, next year, I, I like Pinkney. I like Jordan Williams. I mean, Xavier Kelly transitioning is interesting, but beyond that, you know, we, we don't have a real deep depth chart and we don't have a lot of people that are going to come in and step in. Darnell Jeffries has, hasn't played any snaps and is going to need some more time in the system. And then you got nobody, right? And, and if we were wanting to play, you know, like four guys at defensive tackle, and rotate guys, and we don't have the Wilkins or the Dexter Lawrence uh, to be able to play, you know, this majority of snaps, then yes, absolutely. Tyler Davis is somebody who's immediately in the two deep next year, I think. Um, I think that's where he works into uh, with an opportunity to grab, you know, 150 snaps uh, potentially. That was a huge signing and a huge need um, late in the process. Uh, somebody who we didn't think that we were going to get uh, if it was not for FSU imploding. So we have Auburn and FSU imploding to thank for grabbing Tyler Davis and, and Will Putnam. Uh, huge signings, absolutely. QT, I remember we chatted earlier in the year when you were on just about the effect that what was going on in Tallahassee, Gainesville, Miami would would have on this coaching staff and on the recruiting that they were doing. I mean, I think other years or other circumstances with splashy hires like Mark Richt um, that we might coaching staff might've looked elsewhere, but to be able to go into Florida, I think this signing illustrates what Clemson's brand there has meant and what winning, putting winning football on the field means to recruits. So pretty huge, I think to continue to go into Florida and get guys. Absolutely. I mean, especially Jeff Scott, uh, he, you know, he was able to say, all right, I want Frank Ladson. That's the guy who I want. All right, we're going to go and get him. Um, Clemson has never been able to do that in its entire history other than the past kind of three, four years uh, of Dabo Sweeney's uh, tenure. So uh, absolutely, um, really big. Uh, and I don't see Florida State really rebounding. I mean, they you know they lost Sam Howell, uh, quarterback that we wanted, and then we moved on to Tyson Pumachan. Um, but uh, Florida State as a dumpster fire right now i mean i'm sorry for state fan super dumpster right fire. and um kendall bryles i don't think he's gonna help that very much wow wow <laughs> i mean gal do we yeah i'm not gonna get into it i'm not gonna uh, yeah we don't uh, we don't need to get some... into his his uh 
pedigree or history. I just think, um, yeah, that, that's a great hire for Clemson fans. It, that I mean, we don't have to get into it, but we can say that will be used on the recruiting trail to further reinforce the Clemson family kind of narrative versus what other programs are doing, specifically hiring somebody with that baggage. For sure. QT, I, I know we don't want to go too deep down this track, but the offensive line, like the over the last two years, Jackson Carmen and Will Putnam are the difference between being like a pretty solid two classes and just a complete disaster. So I, I, I've never seen something also so polarizing within the Clemson. I guess you could say that's probably been the most polarizing thing this year uh, in terms of recruiting is is the is kind of the way that tr- the trust the coaches crowd and the and the <laughs> hey things are uh, not going so well we're not we're not keeping our board open or we're not leaving uh, we're not pursuing enough recruits on the, along the offensive line. How do you grade the offensive line as a whole, and, and what do you think in terms of how the coaches went about uh, their pursuit of offensive line recruits this cycle? Well, I mean, so one of the things that the offensive coaching staff in recruiting have been able to do, they did, just overall, but especially on the offensive recruiting, uh, they've been able to land really good high-end talent. Like, we have had Mitch Hyatt play every single snap for four years. We kept him for four years. He played every single snap at left tackle and anchor at that position. I mean, you can look at uh, Christian Wilkins right on the other side of the defensive line. Played almost all his four years, almost all of his snaps, and was able to play both defensive end and defensive tackle on different years to cover up for some of the depth issues that, uh, that, that were caused by a lack of recruiting. So, you know, the the... Clemson coaches have always kind of played with fire in some of these positions, but they've been able to do that and get away with it because they've recruited really high-end talent. Um, And that talent has panned out, and that talent has, you know, they've had hits with those five-star guys who have played a lot of snaps. So if we look at the offensive line, you know, I'm not not complaining about next year, right? I don't think that we're going to have take a huge step back next year because, you know, you have a starting lineup where you're just kind of really replacing – your left tackle position with a five-star guy in Jackson Carmen, who's, you know, he needs some more seasoning. I've been really high on Carmen this season, but you know, he's, he's going to need to drop another 10 pounds. He's going to have to, you know, uh, be ready to, to play an entire season. He's going to have to stay healthy. Uh, he's going to have to improve his feet and, and learn a bit a little bit better technique and things, but he will be your left tackle. So next year you're going to have left tackle. Uh, you're going to have Simpson, as a senior, you're going to have uh, Ankrum, who is a really great three-star pick who has panned out at right tackle. And then you're going to still have a hole at right guard that you're going to have to fill as Cervenka moves to center, right? Um, but then – and, and uh, Bockhorst is a really capable backup who could transition to the left side, but he's really a right side player. Some of these players don't like to move over. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, and then your, your, your tackle depth is basically Sean Pollard. So when you look at the 2020 year, like ne- like next year is good, then you look at 2020 and the year after that, all of these guys are graduating and you have these potential holes that you need to fill. And so you look at the next class and you got Chandler Reeves and Kate Stewart. And it's like that, to me, not only did you just sign two guys, but that doesn't those guys don't really inspire a lot of, uh, you know, uh, 
inspire me to feel good about the positioning of the offensive line. I love Bockhorst. I, I'm still skeptical about Vincent and DeHaan being able to play prominent roles moving forward. And, I, you know, everybody thinks we've hit on Jordan McFadden, maybe. Uh, I, I, he looks – I've heard nothing but good things, and hopefully he'll be a tackle prospect. But that that's all you got, and then you got this class. So this class was really important. We have to hit on these guys. And so um, just having Hunter Rayburn, who I think is a solid prospect but nothing spectacular. Uh, he's a developmental prospect who will play center primarily. I mean, that's what he's played this year. Uh, and then, you know, then we're going in and, and – uh, offering somebody from the the fallback board, uh, and if that's all we've got, those two guys, those are three classes in four years where you're only recruiting two two players, and that that can cause depth issues itself. So uh, it's not looking towards next year; it's looking towards the future of the position and the overall health of the position. We have been able to avoid injury, and um, and that's a you know something that the nutrition staff gets needs a lot of credit for. That's the uh, developmental uh, staff that's strength and con- conditioning that's good coaching um, all those things but um, you're playing with fire I guess is what I would say and that was a really long rant sorry <laughs> I think that's that's what we wanted to hear and I mean it it's the it's a philosophical thing that's like the their approach um, and it it feels it seems like what the 2020 prognostication looks like too from signing that that'll be a solid O-line class as well. Um, so again, I, I'm probably more optimistic about the O-line talent, the O-line kind of depth that we, we will have than I have been over the last four years. I don't know where, where you guys are with that, but I'm, I'm swinging toward the pendulum of the optimism side, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think Will Putnam signing gives you somebody who can play immediately, and then you don't need to have somebody like a, like a Blake Vincent to step in and, and maybe they can play as a, a junior or senior, do deep as a junior, maybe they play as a senior, but you don't need them immediately. Um, that being said, if you have, you know, guys, we, we haven't had an offensive lineman that was a starter go down to like an ACL injury, knock on wood, for a really long time. So uh, if that were to happen, uh, that would be really, you know, bad for the – I mean, that's for every position, but, you know, when you're playing with fire on the offensive line, it becomes the difference between Trevor Lawrence winning a Heisman and being on his backside, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I also have to assume at some point our schedule is going to get better. Um, the ACC will figure it out. We'll, we'll face, you know, dominant defenses. So, um. Never, never. <laughs> cool. Well, th- that kind of touches on the recruiting angles and, and thoughts I had. We really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and um, your insider info uh, with us and with our listeners. Cody, any parting thoughts? No, just that it'd be good to have you back on QT for part two because there's a couple more guys, or actually there's like 10 more guys that we didn't get to talk about, but I would, I would like to ask you about. So hopefully our listeners can look forward to that in February. Absolutely. I'd, I'd, I'd love to. Two of my X Factor guys as a parting is uh, our Kane Patterson, who I think was an absolute steal mm-hmm. from Ohio State. And pay attention to Sheridan Jones as well. He, he uh, could actually, I think, give us some too deep help as well in the secondary, give you some scheme versatility as well on the back end. And I'll leave it at that. And the best name of the recruiting class.
got to be Pumachan, right? Ooh, that's a tough one. I actually like Brighton Constantine as well. I mm. mean, you know, Constantine, right? That's a great last name. Joseph Charleston. Uh, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. Not Kane, right? Kane Patterson. Kane. I love Kane. Uh, E.T. Etanosa Rubin, right? There's a lot of good names. This is a, a great name class. Logan Cash. Cash, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh. Logan Cash seems like it should be like a Marvel, a Marvel character. <laughs> obviously there's there's logan but um cool well uh thanks again qt really appreciate it um i guess you've got a lot um publishing to scs sounds like you're working on an early signing day mega recap of course we will look for your monday morning quarterback thoughts on the cotton bowl um hopefully our prognostications come true and we're looking at a 10 point plus victory um, so again thanks for that um you guys can keep track of qt on chicken the southland and at at quacking tiger on twitter um be sure to give him a follow uh doesn't only talk about recruiting you're obviously also surveying the whole college football landscape and all things clemson there too so uh qt one of the best follows you can have thank you fellas yeah 100 percent. appreciate you coming on and um any last thoughts from you cody what i guess we'll uh for our listeners we'll be back to do a cotton bowl recap with ben and sam at some point next week um, we're also looking to have a couple other interviews coming on, um, coming up, and hopefully a preview show for the national championship game. Stay tuned also for more details, if that should come to pass, about national championship game tailgating details. Uh, we'd love to set up a tailgate and have our listeners and anybody else come by and grab a beer with us. So uh, stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, and as always, go Tigers. <laughs>